0: Philippians chapter 3, verses 17 through chapter 4, verse 1. If you could stand, please, for the reading of God's word. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. For many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I have often told you of them, and now I tell you even with tears. Their end is destruction, their God is the belly, and their glory is in their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and it is from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He will transform the body of our humiliation, that it may be conformed to the body of his glory, by the power that also enables him to make all things subject to himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. This is the word of God. Thank you God. And can be seated. Uh, from this passage this morning, I'll preach from the title, Standing Firm Together. Standing Firm Together. Uh, here's the thing that I've noticed lately about uh, some of the spiritual-sounding language that, that we use. Um, it, it tends to focus on me uh, or you as an individual. I'm learning to prioritize self-care. I have to learn to love me first. I am my own biggest obstacle to my own emotional health. And, and to be very certain, all of those things are very, very true. Self-care is incredibly important, right? Uh, We can be our own greatest obstacles to growth. Image bearers of God should love ourselves. But you do see the common theme, right? The focus is on me. Uh, Spiritual growth, spiritual health, spiritual maturity, it depends on me. Um, And certainly, we are all active participants in our own spiritual growth. But the Apostle Paul, in his letter to the early church in Greece here, he suggests a a rather different strategy for spiritual growth. Paul called the Philippian Christians to imitate him in order to stand firm in Jesus. As important as our own individual agency is in, in, in our spiritual growth, in these verses we find that we need more than just ourselves, we need each other, we need a community. Over the past few weeks, some of you have told me that, that you've been feeling kind of disconnected at church. In fact, uh, my hunch is that after two years of this pandemic, almost all of us are feeling a bit disconnected from church. Can we take a risk here? Raise your hand if you're feeling a little bit disconnected. All right. Those of you who are not, tell us your secret and we'll, uh, we'll, we'll follow your lead. And I'm genuinely hopeful that in the weeks and the months to come, we're going to have more opportunities for connection and nurturing our community together. But that ache, that ache that many of us feel is a a good reminder that we need one another in this life of faith. Amen? Amen? It's not meant to be done by ourselves. In fact, that's my kind of one idea in this sermon. We need each other in order to remain faithful to Jesus. That's it. that's that's my point. We need each other in order to remain faithful to Jesus. To remain faithful to Jesus, to grow spiritually, to obey Jesus's teaching, to experience the abundant and the blessed life that Jesus promised us, we need each other. Now, given the priorities of our church, if you've been around for a little while, my hunch is that most of you would agree with that. You're all in with that. But what? What do we need each other for? Or to ask the question differently, what specifically can we do to help each other follow Jesus faithfully? We find two answers to those questions in this passage. First, we, we can warn each other compassionately to stand firm in Jesus. Say warn. Warn. Second, we can encourage each other confidently to stand firm in Jesus. Say, encourage. Yes. Warn and encourage. Now, as, as Minister Marquita prayed, we are in the season of Lent. It's the, the, the 40 days before we celebrate Jesus' resurrection. It's a time to, to reflect honestly and soberly about our faith. Are we standing firm in Jesus? Are we holding fast to the faith? which guided generations of Jesus followers before us? Or have we gotten turned around? Have we mistaken our own self-centered desires for the voice of the Holy Spirit? The wonderful thing about Lent is that it gives us this set-apart time to confess our need for our Savior's mercy and grace. And that's always a good thing, right? It gives us a time to experience intentionally more of our Savior's mercy and grace. And according to these few verses, we can experience that mercy and grace again as we warn one another with compassion and encourage one another with confidence. So let's take these two one at a time. We warn each other compassionately to stand firm in Jesus. Our passage begins by the authors, Timothy and Paul, inviting the church to to imitate me and to follow the example you have in us. Paul and Timothy seem to be saying to the church in Philippi, follow us as we follow Jesus. If you want to know what it looks like to follow Jesus, follow our example. Why? Why do they want them to follow their example? Well, they write, because or for, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Follow our example because many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Now, now, who are these people who are living as enemies of the cross of Christ? My instinct is to think that these are people who are somehow willfully, visibly opposed to Jesus, people who are who are oppositional in their very posture to the, the Lordship of Jesus Christ, people who have no interest in who Jesus is. But but the authors say that they tell the church about this with tears. So it seems more likely that the people they have in mind are people who would consider themselves and call themselves Christians, people who would identify themselves as followers of Jesus, and yet Paul and Timothy says they are actually living as enemies of the cross. And then they give a few characteristics of these, uh, these individuals. They say their, their end is destruction, they are not oriented or aimed towards that blessed and abundant life that Jesus calls us to. They are not, they're not following that narrow way that Jesus calls us along. Instead, they're, they're aimed toward destruction. Their God is their belly. They, they, they prioritize temporary uh, uh, solutions to, to deep and profound desires, looking to, to satiate themselves with things that do not last, which are temporary. Their glory is in their shame. They, they have taken the things that are opposed to God's will and they flipped them and called them good and called them right. It's amazing our ability to adapt ourselves to sin, is it not? I'm good at it. <laughs> A part of being human is, is taking what is destructive and then talking our way into saying that this thing is actually good for me. In some, Paul and Timothy write, their minds are on earthly things. And by earthly things, they don't mean the the, the goodness of God's creation. They they don't mean uh, caring for the poor. They they don't mean enjoying artistic beauty. These are all earthly things. That's not what they have in mind. Rather, they, they have in mind those things which aim us away from a life of faith in Jesus looking to earthly things for our satisfaction and for our security. For example, working a job whose profits are mostly built on exploiting people when you could take a job that would pay a little bit less money but would benefit people. Or insulating yourself from your neighbor's needs simply because you can afford to or highlighting Jesus' words about social justice while muting the ones about personal holiness. The, the, the problem here is that earthly things are very easy to normalize. Earthly things, the things that we can conform to, are easy to succumb to because they are normal in the world around us. Do you know what I mean? They're not visible. They don't have flashing lights on them saying, stay away from here. It's the normal and natural stuff of the culture that we inhabit. I have been saying for years that our family needs to move away from the big bank uh, that we bank with because this bank is terrible. (laughs) They're just the worst. Uh, By every possible metric. They are not good for our city. They are not good for our community. They are not good for our planet. They are good for their stakeholders. But it's just so convenient (laughs) to bank with them. They're everywhere. Their branches are everywhere. They make it so easy. The, the, The earthly things that we can so easily conform to are the normal things around us. And choosing to not conform to those earthly things is not normal. Choosing not to conform to what Paul will elsewhere call the the patterns of this world, well, that choice is an abnormal and a strange and a weird choice in our world. Choosing chastity in dating is not normal. Having your generosity determine your discretionary spending, is not normal. Prioritizing friendships which do not conform to our culture's class hierarchy is not normal. Granting more authority to scripture than to my own private experience is not normal remaining invested in neighborhoods and schools and communities and families, even when you don't see the progress you want to see, is not normal. I I share these examples not not to heap guilt on any of us. I'm sharing examples of of which I have succumbed to personally. Rather, it's just to say how normal these earthly things are. And if we miss this, if we miss the, the, the... the natural feel of these earthly things, then then we miss the opportunity to confess, to confess how we have succumbed, to confess how we are complicit. And when we miss the opportunity to confess, we miss the opportunity to receive another dose of our Savior's grace. We miss an opportunity to grow more deeply in our Lord Jesus, which is why we need each other To warn us compassionately about the ways we have succumbed, about the ways we have normalized those things which are not meant to be normal to those who follow Jesus. So so we begin simply with that confessional posture I have set my mind on earthly things. I feel pretty confident that every one of us here this morning can make that confession, amen? Amen. Every one of us in this room, by virtue of simply the world we live in and the air that we breathe, have set our minds on earthly things. So, So we can begin with that humble posture of confession that we too have succumbed. And that humility then opens us up to the grace of Jesus once again. When our eyes are open to a way that we have conformed, we don't have to beat ourselves up. We don't have to go have a time out in the corner. We can simply hear our Savior's invitation to follow him more closely once again. Isn't that, that's good, right? That's so good. We need each other to remain faithful to Jesus. I need you to warn me compassionately, not from a place of judgment, right? Right? But compassionately, as a fellow pilgrim on the way with Jesus. I need you to warn me compassionately to stand firm in Jesus. And then, and then second, and, and then last, we also need each other, we need to encourage each other confidently to stand firm in Jesus. Philippi was a, a Roman colony. It had been settled by Roman soldiers after a, a, a war that Rome fought that claimed this territory. And then rather than having all of these bloodthirsty soldiers come back to Rome, Rome said, we're actually going to just de- designate this as a Roman colony. And if you stay there in Philippi, we're going to give you Roman citizenship. And, and this history seems to be in the background here, as Timothy and Paul say, that, that the the Philippian Christians, have a citizenship that is in heaven. They, they don't have in mind that, that one day you'll go to heaven, that one day you'll escape this earth, that, that you should be uninvolved with the things of this world because you are a citizen of heaven. Rather, kind of borrowing from this, this history and this imagery, it seems that they are saying that, that you Philippian Christians, right where you are, are an outpost of heaven. You're a colony of heaven. The earthly things make it hard for us to remember that heavenly citizenship, which again is why we need each other, to remind each of us of our heavenly identity. Again, not an escapist identity, not a, not a one day we're going to escape this world, but a, a sense of who we are, a sense of, of, of God's call on our lives exactly where we are. We need that reminder of our heavenly identity. So so as I was preparing for this, I I just skimmed through the openings to some of the letters in the New Testament to see how the authors reminded those early Christians of their heavenly identity. So Paul, in his letter to the Romans, he, he, he addresses the church as those loved by God and called to be holy. In his letter to the church in Corinth, he addresses those sanctified, that is, made holy in Christ Jesus. To the Christians in Ephesus, he calls them the faithful in Christ Jesus. Peter, in his first letter, he addresses those chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. In Jude's letter, he writes to those loved by God. All of these are reminders, are encouragements of our heavenly citizenships, of the fact that we are an outpost of heaven right here in Chicago those philippian citizens if they got in trouble if they had an enemy threatening them they weren't looking to to escape to rome they expected that rome would come to their rescue that rome would intervene on their behalf and again this seems to be in the background as as the authors write our citizenship is in heaven and it is from there that we are expecting a savior again we're not expecting god to just yank us out of here but but we are expecting that jesus is going to return the encouragement is not hold on until you escape this planet, right? The encouragement is to stand firm and to remember that, that Christ has come and Christ will come again. That Christ has come and that we await his coming again. This is a, a hopeful expectancy, a reminder that, that humiliation will be transformed into glory. And we have to admit that the way of Jesus in this life can at times feel humiliating. Not conforming to the earthly things around us puts us out of step with what is considered normal and neutral and average and just to be expected. I would suggest that if you never find yourself feeling a little bit at least of that humiliation, that that if at least at moments you don't find yourself kind of viscerally in your body reminded that you live out of step with the basic assumptions of much of our world, then it's possible uh, that we have succumbed to the patterns of these earthly things. Does that make sense? it's actually possible for those moments of discomfort, humiliation, I don't quite fit in, to be a really nice reminder of the fact that we are called to follow our Lord Jesus above anything and everybody else. Amen? Uh, So again, this is why we have to remember That a day is coming when God's will in heaven will be visibly manifested on earth. That's the day we long for. And so we can encourage each other, and we can encourage each other confidently. Confidently. Paul says, by the power that also enables him, God, to make all things subject to himself. I would describe this as God's creational power. The creator of all things is the one from whom all things derive our purpose, our being, our essence. All of creation knows itself in relationship to the creator. That is God's creational power. And Paul and Timothy says it's that same power which guarantees our glory it would go against God's very nature not to glorify his children. Why? Because living in harmony with the will of heaven is living in harmony with God's very self. This uh, week on my day off, I walked through Jackson Park, and some of you know I like to look for birds and listen for birds, and and I heard uh, the call of the red-winged blackbird. Now, if you don't care about birds, uh, that doesn't mean anything to you, but uh, like many birds, they migrate. They go somewhere warm during the wintertime. And I've not heard any red-winged blackbirds since the fall. And this was the first time I heard one. And so I kind of followed it, looked around, and I saw it. I saw the red-winged blackbird. Now, in, in about three weeks from now, I'm not going to care anything about red-winged blackbirds because they're going to be everywhere, and they're actually pretty loud, and their call is not particularly, you know, delicate and lovely. It's a little... <laughs> to me. It's a little annoying, but, but right now, I'm like, oh, it's the sound of heaven. Why? Because it means spring is coming. It means it's getting warm. It means the snow is going away. It, it's one of those first sort of evidence that, yes, it, it, it's going to happen. We're not going to be in winter forever. It's in the, the red-winged blackbird's very nature to return to, to the Chicagoland ev- area every single year. So even though I don't know the exact date when they're going to show up again, I can know that they're coming back because it's in their very nature to return and to begin singing again. I hope you see the connection. The God of heaven will not betray the citizen of heaven. It would go against God's nature. The God whose will is perfect will not abandon those who are aligned in Jesus with his will. The God of our Lord Jesus Christ will not turn from those who are hidden in Christ Jesus our Lord. Is that good news to anybody this morning? In other words, when we encourage each other, we can encourage each other with confidence because it is in God's very nature to glorify his children. Thanks be to God. So ask yourself, who in my life needs to be encouraged? And can I suggest that in the age that we live in, that should be a very easy question to answer because I promise you everybody in this room needs to be encouraged today because we've been through some stuff, right? Who in your life needs to be encouraged? Somebody needs to be reminded that they are a citizen of heaven. Somebody in your life needs to be reminded that they have a hope that cannot be taken by earthly things because our hope has never depended on earthly things. Somebody needs to be reminded that what the enemy intended for their humiliation is even now being transformed by Jesus for their glorification. Somebody needs to be reminded that even while we wait for the return of our Saviour, the power of God is already at work in their lives. Amen? Amen? We encourage each other and we encourage each other confidently to stand firm in Jesus. God's grace and mercy are available to us in so many ways, but especially through the fellowship with our sisters and brothers in Christ. Every single one of us in this room and online are prone to succumb to earthly things. That is simply part of being human. Every one of us is, is prone to trade our inheritance for, of glory for the temporary delight of a full stomach. Each of us are susceptible to forgetting that our ultimate citizenship is not to be found among this world's princes and powers, but is a citizenship held in the courts of heaven. And we need, we all need, I need these compassionate warnings and these confident encouragements. And friends, sometimes those warnings and those encouragements will come in the form of our words. We'll say things to each other. But but remember the context of this passage. More important, more powerful than anything we can say to each other is how we live with each other. I need you, I need the way that you live to serve as a warning to me about the bankruptcy of earthly things, as an encouragement about the power of God which guarantees that my hope is not in vain. I need to imitate some people who understand that winning at capitalism is not the same thing as being blessed by God. Who understand that voting for the candidate who claims to care about the poor is a long ways away from lived and sacrificial solidarity with the poor. Who understand that the the size of the crowd or the budget is a, a horrible metric for the Holy Spirit's power. I need the example of a community that has found the hope of heaven to be far more solid and lasting than anything offered by the American dream, that has found the self-giving love of God to be more life-giving than any of the glittery or shiny things offered by this world's power brokers, that has found the shalom of God the peace of God that passes all understanding to be more satisfying than whatever desire-quenching thing the marketers are trying to sell us today. By the way that we live together, we need to see that sin is real and that Jesus forgives our sin. We need to see that this world is messed up and that Jesus has overcome the world. We need to see that evil is wrecking havoc in our city and that Jesus is placing evil under his feet. During Lent, we're going to be receiving communion each Sunday. It is our confession as we come to the table first of how much we need our Savior. But it is also our confession as we come We need each other. We need you, fellow member of the body of Christ. We come to the table together. We receive the the broken body and the blood of the new covenant together. So, this morning, as you come to the table, don't come with tunnel vision come looking around the room. If you're online, come scanning the comments. Notice who comes to the table with you today. These are your sisters and your brothers gifted to you by Jesus. And so let's humble ourselves before one another that we might see the compassionate warnings our wandering hearts require, and the confident encouragement that our hopeful hearts desire. Let's pray. Gracious God, you have saved us and placed us in a new family so this morning, we thank you for the sisters and brothers who are ours by your shed blood and through the water of our baptism. Our Lord promised that those who follow him would receive, even in this age, new brothers and sisters, mothers and children. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for keeping your promise. We confess that we need this new family, this new community to follow you faithfully, We cannot do it on our own. So humble us that we might heed the warnings when we step off the path. Strengthen us that we might be encouraged in our Savior's glory and power. In your grace and in your mercy, fill us again with the food and the drink which truly satisfies. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.